I'm sorry. No, I'm not apologizing for anything. But those words, when they are spoken and when they are heard, can be some of the most powerful words spoken in the English language. Along with the phrases, I love you and will you marry me, those words have the power to alter our lives. It has the potential to take a life headed in one direction and steer it into another direction. It has the power to take a broken relationship and make it whole. Sorry. I'm sorry. On one side of the coin, it's, it's, it's powerful to hear someone say to us, I'm sorry. As, as I say that, some of you can instantly think of moments in your life where someone came up to you and said, I'm sorry, because of something they did. It takes a great deal of humility for someone to admit that they were wrong, that they hurt us. And, and when someone um, does tell us, I'm sorry, we have, we ha we, uh, have a tremendous amount of power on our hands because we, we can refuse to forgive and the relationship never has a possibility of being mended or we can forgive and we can begin the healing process on the flip side of things there are times in all of our lives where we are the ones who have to say I'm sorry that's never an easy thing. It's never fun to do. It's never fun to have to tell someone we are sorry for hurting them. And again, in order for us to do that, we have to humble ourselves and admit to ourselves that we have done something wrong, that we have done something to hurt someone else. And when we do that, we're at the mercy of the one we offended. They have to decide whether or not to forgive us and whether or not the relationship is going to continue. Guess what? Sorry is not only something we occasionally have to tell each other, but it's also something that we have to say to God. Over the last several weeks, we have looked at the games we play. We've looked at the games we play to talk about the life we live and how we uh, deal with God or how he deals with us. We talked about playing hide-and-seek and how we try sometimes to play hide-and-seek from God when we have sinned and, and gone our own way instead of his. And we talked about how what a silly concept that is to try to hide from God. We looked at the game of solitaire and how we are not called to live life alone, but called to live it in community. And then we talked about the game of Angry Birds. And if you don't have a smartphone, you may not know what I'm talking about, but you probably do because you can see it everywhere. I made a movie. There's merchandise. There's towels. There's everything. But we talked about how we're not supposed to be an Angry Bird. We talked about how we're not supposed to let anger control us and get the best of us because guess what we can't worship God and have anger in our hearts the two don't mix the two don't go together last week we talked about monopoly and monopoly is the the game about you know accumulating property and taking the other players money but guess what that's a game it's not supposed to be life 
We are called to live generously, radical generosity. No matter how much money we have, lots of it, little bit, God wants us to be generous because when we are giving, that's when we're most like God because we serve a generous and giving God. This morning we're talking about sorry. Anybody ever played the game sorry? Okay, a few, some, all right. It's originally made by Parker Brothers, but the point of the game is to move your pieces uh, around the board until you get to your base, and you have a certain color, and your base is a certain color, and there's more to it than that, but uh, one of the things you're supposed to do when the game of sorry is when you jump over somebody else, you're supposed to say, sorry, I'm sorry, not really. <laughs> I think in life there are many reasons why we say sorry. We say sorry when we want the other person to feel better. We say sorry when we mean it and we have every intention of not repeating the behavior that caused hurt or wrong. We say sorry even when we don't feel sorry, but we know the other person wants to hear it. And then we say sorry and we have no intentions at all in changing our behavior. Our scripture from Ezekiel speaks of a need for all of us, all of us humans, to say, I'm sorry to God. And I think just like in our human relationships, <coughs> there's, different, there's different reasons or ways we say sorry to God. We say sorry thinking that God's going to feel better after we say sorry, and that maybe we will too. We say sorry when, and we truly mean it and we have every intentions of changing our behavior and, and never hurting God again. We say sorry when we, we don't really feel sorry, but we think God wants to hear it. And then we say sorry and we have no intentions of changing our behavior. Now, before I go any further and get any deeper and, and, and any, any, go into danger of you misunderstanding me, when I say that we need to say sorry to God... I'm really talking about our need to ask God for forgiveness. And when we talk about asking God for forgiveness, implied in that is a change in behavior. We, what we're talking about is repentance. To repent of something is to turn away from it. When we repent of our sins to God, we are confessing our sins before God, seeking his forgiveness, and then telling God we're going to turn away from our sin and we're going to turn towards God. Repentance really means to do a 180. I'm going to turn my back on my sinful behavior, and I'm going to turn towards God and his ways and his path. When we say sorry to God, implied in that is a change in behavior. It's not just an empty statement. God says in our passage from Ezekiel, but if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. Do you see the progression there? First we stop the sin, the sinful behavior, and then we change our behavior. We stop the bad behavior and start the good behavior. We start following God's plan. Now some of you may read that verse and you're thinking, that, that word wicked's a little strong. 
I'm not wicked. I'm a good person. You know me, Alan. Make no mistake about it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our God is a holy God. He is perfect, without sin, without blemish. His standard is perfection. And none of us here is without sin. In God's eyes, none of us are good just on our own. But here's the good news. God says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? You know, when I I read the scriptures and I prepare for the sermon, I, I, I look for two things. One, how can it help us? How can what we're reading and looking at, how can it help us? What can we learn from this scripture and apply it to our lives that's going to help us become more like God and live the way that God wants us to live? And the second thing is, what can I teach you and me about God from this passage? And the thing that I learned from this passage about God is that God is eager to forgive. He is eager to forgive. God is eager to hear us say sorry and mean it and eager to forgive us when we do. This reminds me of John 3.16, we all know that, but also John 17, which we too often leave off, and it's, it's almost as important, if not as important. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sin so that we could become holy through Jesus and be righteous in God's eyes. And God did that because God is eager to save the world, not condemn the world. Because God loves, so loves the world. And God is pleased when you and me, the wicked, turn from our ways, and turn towards God's ways. God is not out to get us. He's not the boogeyman. God's not out to condemn us. He is out to save us. I got even more good news. When we do say sorry to God and we change our behaviors to reflect God's ways, God not only forgives us of our sins, but God chooses to forget them. God not only forgives us, but he chooses to forget them altogether. Listen to verse 22. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them. Because of the righteous things they have done, they will live. Talk about powerful. When we humbly come before God and ask his forgiveness, say, I'm sorry. God not only helps us to live a godly life, he chooses not to remember our sins. Don't you wish you could do that? We've all heard the phrase, forgive and forget. Oh, just forgive and forget, right? Sounds so easy, right? Just forgive and forget. I'm here to tell you that that is not possible. It's not. Our human brains cannot forget 
the wrongs that have been done against us. But when we truly forgive someone, that memory should not pop up every time we see them. True forgiveness doesn't mean we won't remember the sin. True forgiveness allows us to move on even with the memory of the sin. It allows us to no longer hold on to that hurt from the other person. Now with God, whole nother ball game, whole nother ball game. God is God, and so God can choose to forget. He can choose not to remember our sins. And so what that means for us is that when we seek God's forgiveness for our sins, and we truly repent, and we turn away from our sin, we don't have to live with guilt, and we can move forward. God doesn't remember it. God's not going to hold it over us. The problem is, too often we come down to this altar and we say, God, I, you know, I, I did this, I did that, I'm sorry. And we lay it down, but before we get back to the pew, we've already picked it back up. We can't forget. We can't let go. God's already done it. It's your turn to let go of it. See, there's power in God choosing not to remember our sins. Just before this passage, right before, because you notice there was a but, but if the wicked, I mean, something was there before. So God had declared that the sin of the father, sin of the parents, does not pass down to children like DNA. Earlier in the Old Testament, the Scripture spoke of God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We've all, those girls been in the church, you've heard that before, passed down to the third and fourth generation. Well, in Ezekiel, as God is talking about creating a new covenant with his people, God says that the sins of the father, guess what, are the sins of the father. And that the sins of the children, guess what, are the sins of the children. Listen to what God says. He says, yet, yet you ask, this is verse 19 and 20, right before why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. See, here's the power of God choosing not to remember our sins. When we seek God's forgiveness, not only are we free of our own sins and our own mistakes, but we're free from our parents' sins and the sins of the generations before us. Things can change. They don't have to stay the way they were. Some of us are living life as if we are stuck with the hand that we were born with. Some of us are making the same mistakes our parents made because we don't know any better or we think we don't have a choice. God says that you don't have to pay for your parents' sins or the sins of the generation before you. The inverse is true as well, but may be a little bit more difficult for some of you to accept. Parents, you don't have to pay for your child's sins. 
Some of you with grown children who aren't living the way God would have them to live, it's their choice. We hate it. It stinks. We don't like it. It's their decision. You don't have to pay for their sins. However, you do, I do, we do have to deal with our own sins. Part of what I'm about to share is really my father's story to share, which he readily does in sermons. But part of our parents' story is our story. None of us can deny that. But when my dad was only four or five years old, his father left him, his younger sister and his mother. His father was an alcoholic and finally just left one day. It wasn't until my dad was in college during a summer break that my dad tracked my father down and they were reunited. My dad found his dad on the complete opposite side of the country in Spokane, Washington. His father had remarried, become sober, accepted Jesus into his life. He was also dying of cancer. I've heard my dad share this story many times, and my dad, who many of you know is the pastor at Statesboro First United Methodist Church, is living proof that the sins of the father do not have to pass down to the next generation. But my dad had to make a choice. He had to choose not to go down the same paths as his father. He had to choose not to pick up the bottle. He also had to come face to face with God and allow God to lead him. I had to do the same thing as well, and so do you. We each have to come face to face with God and with our own sin. We have to recognize our own sinfulness and our own need for God's forgiveness. God is eager and willing to take those sins away to choose not to remember them and to help us to live the way his word tells us. We've got to be willing to make a first step, though you could argue that God has already made that first step. But we've got to make that step and say to him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you willing to admit that this morning? And are you willing to accept the power God gives you to live a life that's pleasing to him? Amen.